Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord right now. Let's magnify him across this room. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you praise. There's none like you, Jesus. There's none higher. There's none greater. Oh, could we just mask, mask in that for a moment? Could we just give glory to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Give honor to Pastor. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to this great body. That award is not anything of my doing. I am blessed to be part of a great team. And I am honored to be part of a wonderful district that believes in the mission of the gospel. Uh, but I do thank you for that. If you have your Bible, I'm going to take you to the book of Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. And I have been torn between two messages. One that I felt more comfortable with, the other that I wrote last night after driving in from Indy and felt like I was doing well to form coherent sentences. And the Lord began to shift me toward that one of all things. But I'm going to deliver to you what I feel in the Holy Ghost this morning. From the book of Genesis, the 8th chapter, the 22nd verse, we are catching the ending of a story as Noah has exited the ark bow has been placed in the sky. Noah has offered sacrifice to the Lord. And this is the statement that God makes after the sweet aroma of sacrifice has risen from the altars of Noah. And he makes this statement. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And it is from this that I would like to preach to you three simple words this morning. When harvest comes. When harvest comes. Would you lift your hands and your voice one more time toward heaven and ask the Lord to move and minister as he will in this place. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful, God, for the power and the might of your hand that has worked already in this sanctuary today. Lord, we ask you, God, that that same moving and that same ministering spirit, God, would work with all liberty in the midst of this service, that you would do whatever you desire. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord one more time as you're being seated. It is likely not apparent by my appearance or my lack of skill or knowledge, but I did, however, grow up on a farm. This does not scream farm. Maybe overalls would have been a better illustration. I did grow up on a small farm in a small community called Pisgah, Mississippi. Is anybody familiar with Pisgah? Pisgah is a small community outside of Boonville. They house a Head Start and a convenience store that doesn't sell gas. I don't know how that's convenient for anyone. What a convenience store that doesn't sell gas. They did, however, sell Chico Sticks, the world's worst candy ever invented. If that's your favorite candy, I apologize. But I remember as a child riding the school bus that my bus driver would stop us by the Pisgah store and 
buy all of us a Chico stick. After about five years worth of Chico stick stops, you get a little burnout on Chico sticks. The little community that I grew up in, the farm was my grandfather's farm, and my grandfather was one of those um, elderly, seasoned people who believed that we did not make daily trips to town. You made weekly, maybe bi-weekly trips to town. And when you went, you didn't buy anything that you could grow yourself. You bought what you couldn't grow. He was of the persuasion that if he couldn't grow it, he couldn't eat it. I'm of the persuasion that if anybody grows it, I can't eat it. And in the sense of McDonald's, it doesn't necessarily have to grow. It can also be somewhat chemically manufactured, apparently. Because we all know those aren't chicken nuggets. doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what side of the harvest I was on. It wasn't the planning, but I sure enjoyed the table. You know, I've been relatively the same size since childhood. I blame my grandparents and my parents. I wasn't skilled laborer to plant and prune and ensure the harvest was perfectly manicured and maintained. Most apparently, I knew how to eat the harvest. But outside of my evident skill, I would help my grandparents not to plant. But I was very capable and likely the only one available is more why I was selected to help pick the harvest. And I would go into the field with my five-gallon bucket because we didn't have machinery. We had hands. Because who needs a combine when you have a grandson? Probably because we couldn't get gas for the combine at the convenience store. So you didn't have to give the grandson fuel. You just had to put him in the field with a bucket. There with my five-gallon bucket, I would go and take my bucket and tow down the rows of purple hull peas. Don't get hungry yet. And I would take my bucket and I would go down this row of purple hull peas, this field, row at a time. And I would look through the peas, look through the harvest, the fruit of the vine, and figure out which ones were there and which ones were ready to be picked and which ones needed a little more time and which ones possibly had even been on the vine too long. And there we would sort and we would pick those that were ripe and ready for harvest. Some there were planted that were still not ready for picking. Some of those the birds had devoured and had their part of. Some were overlooked and died on the vine. But for the most part, we came out with buckets full that were ripe and ready for harvest. Yet there's one thing I learned in my short tenure of agriculture is that you cannot carelessly pluck fruit from a vine. To carelessly pluck the fruit from the vine would damage the vine and cause harm to the fruit around it. There was a particular careful approach to take to pick those peas from the vine so that I did not disrupt the growth of the others around it. Can I tell you that as we walk into a world 
that is ripe and ready to harvest. Let us be careful that we find the fruit that is ready and we harvest it with care and with wisdom and with nurture and with compassion. Let it be that we walk into the field of harvest in our family, in our job, and our city with a compassion of Christ Jesus to carefully harvest the crop that he is so desiring in the house. It's vitally important how you plant, but it's equally as important the manner in which you reap. Harvest is not something that falls silent in the pages of Scripture and fades silently into the backdrop, but harvest is something that the king is passionate about. In fact, the Scripture refers to the harvest multiple times. He is the Lord of the harvest. He is the keeper of the harvest. He is the faithful sower. It is parable after parable that gives insight into the careful care of the king concerning the harvest. The context that we find in Genesis gives a very bold statement. And while I do reference and know it's reference to a physical harvest as the Lord is speaking of day and night, cold and heat, summer, winter, he does make a statement that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not cease. Can I tell you most assuredly that does apply in a physical context, but can I tell you I am persuaded also that there is a harvest that will come from the word of God in the hearts of men. There is a harvest that it's not if it comes, it's not it might come, but there is a harvest of when it comes. A harvest of the promises and the faithfulness of God. A harvest of the word sown into the hearts of men. Can I tell you, there is no question of if harvest will happen. It is a question of when harvest comes. What do we do with the harvest? How do we work in the harvest? It's not a question of if, but a matter of when harvest comes. This very statement Spoken of physical harvest and of physical times. Can I tell you that is not the harvest that hijacks the attention of the Almighty. The physical harvest, while good, is not the objective of the omnipotent God of glory. That harvest of a physical ground is not what he is after, but it is rather the harvest of the fallow ground of the hearts and the souls of men. He's not concerned as much with a physical seed as he is with a spiritual seed that is lodged in the heart of man and brings forth an abundant fruit under righteousness. If we're not careful, sometimes we become persuaded as the disciples did, that God is interested in physical works. Multiple times through the scripture, he would remind them that his kingdom was not of this earth. He would have to remind them when they would ask him questions, will you at this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? And yet again, with a consistent reply, he would remind the disciples that there was a kingdom that was far greater than one that would overthrow the Roman Empire, that his work was far greater than that to overthrow a physical captor. But his desire was to overthrow the captor of sin and the captor of death and the captor of hell and of the 
grave, that his desire was that of a spiritual kingdom that would produce spiritual fruit, that would bring harvest in the spirit and in the life of man. His desire was not again to exercise physical stones with the law, but to inscribe it upon the heart of man. Let us not become convinced that God is more concerned with the outward condition than he is the inward. I persuade to you and I present to you today that God is just as concerned and more so with the inward condition of man than he is the outward circumstance. Certainly God is a healer and God is a way maker and God is a provider and God does all things and he does them well. But let me tell you today without hesitancy that God is concerned with the inward condition of the heart of man more than he is concerned with blessing our finances, more than he's concerned with doing all of the physical things that he can do. God is concerned with the condition of the heart of man. Why? Because it is the condition of the heart that determines the produce of a harvest. Scripture is really clear upon the matter of harvest in the heart. Psalmist, the prophet, the epistle, all bring themselves to point of a harvest that deals with the hearts of man. The psalmist says it in this fashion, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy with shouts of joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. Hosea would say it in this fashion, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up the fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he rain righteousness upon the earth. God's concern is that the condition of men's hearts would be that to receive the seed that brings forth an abundant fruit. How does it happen? It's broken up through repentance. It's broken up through my willingness to be receptive of the word of God and the moving of the spirit and the watering of the word. There is something that God is concerned with that is greater than my physical and it is the eternal man, the inner man of the inside that is going to live somewhere forever. It is his desire that the heart be broken up and that that man would grow unto all fruitfulness and all good works unto all likeness of Jesus Christ. It is his desire that we would grow up unto the likeness and the image of Christ Jesus. This is why Paul, when he writes to the churches, he writes repeatedly to them and he says things of this nature until we grow into the full stature of the man, Christ Jesus. He's saying in case you've forgotten the measure that which we are aiming at is nothing of this world. That which we are aiming at is to be like him. That which we are aiming at is to bear the fruit of his kingdom and the fruit of the spirit. That which we are aiming for is to present ourselves holy and acceptable unto him which is our reasonable service. That which we are striving to obtain has less to do with this world and more to do with that kingdom. Why? Because when all is said and done, the only things gathered and harvested into his storehouse are the things born of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the nature of Christ Jesus. This is why Paul, when he addresses the Galatians, he says, for the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption, but he that sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. 
He goes on then to say, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I love how Paul here mirrors the very same thing and the very same principle of Jesus. When Jesus is asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? He said, it is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. The second is likened to it. Because here's the truth of the matter. It will always be a Christ in us before it will ever be a Christ through us. It will always be Christ in you before it's ever Christ through you. What's not in you can't work through you. But when you yield yourself to the word and to the spirit and to the works of God, then what is in you begins to flow out of you. That's why he put it in that order. You've got to love God with all that you are and then your neighbor. Why? Because it's your love for God that impacts your love for your neighbor. It's your love for God that impacts your love for the lost and the hurting and the broken and the wounded. It's your love for God and his word and the impact of the fruit of the spirit in your own life that causes you to be able to drop seed of spiritual nature into the fallow hearts of those around you. I'm well aware that this would have been better suited on a Sunday night possibly. Indulge me as a moment as I strive to reach for what I feel the Lord is doing in this room. The pages of our Bible are painted with the parables of harvest and fruitfulness. Probably the most common and the most read of all of those is Matthew as he writes about the four grounds in which seed is received. He writes about the seed in the wayside, the seed in the stony place, the seed among thorns, and then finally the good ground. It's worth noting that the seed of the wayside never springs up. It is the only of the four that the Bible does not say springs up at all, but it is devoured of the birds. The stony place where there's not much earth, where not much has been broken up. It springs up, but it fades away for lack of a root and a depth. Springs up, but it's only for a short time in a shallow place. Oh God, help me that I break up the fallow ground of my heart, that the word not springs up for a short season and fades away, but that the word finds deep root and deep lodging in my heart. Let me break up the fallow ground through repentance and crucifixion of the flesh. Let me break up fallow ground through whatever means necessary, that the word may grow and take root in me. Springs up. It's not much earth. It's so because it has no deepness. When the sun was up, it's scorched and it withers. There is that that falls among the thorns, the cares of life, and the thorns spring up and choke it out. It's worth mentioning that both the stony place and the seed among thorns both spring up, but neither become fruitful. God, let it be that our hearts are in condition to receive spiritual principles that bring forth abundant fruit. It is the will of God that the church brings forth fruit. It's not his will that we have a shallow momentary experience that fades in the heat of the day. 
It's not his will that the word finds lodging for a short time and is choked out. But it is his will that the hearts of men be broken so that there is a harvest in your life individually, a harvest of the fruit of the Spirit, a harvest of the nature of Christ, a harvest of the attitude of the kingdom, a harvest of the beatitudes and the principles of God. Let it be that we break up that fallow ground so that harvest will come for it is a good ground that brings forth fruit a hundred sixty some thirty fold Jesus repeatedly speaks of harvest and fruitfulness in the lives of men can I tell you that there are two harvests the Lord is concerned with two fruitful things that he desires and that is that men would be fruitful in the spiritual things of the kingdom Jesus calls the disciples and immediately begins to instruct them in the character of the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. He goes through the list of the Beatitudes. That is the character of the kingdom of Christ. And can I tell you that it is desired of us that it be more than memorization Blessed are the merciful, merciful actions. The word merciful is tied to action. It cannot be seen by the fact that I remember and call to remembrance the verse. It has to be seen that I live out a life that is merciful. What is mercy? Mercy is given in circumstances where it is not merited. But God, let us be merciful. For blessed are the merciful... harvest it's not if harvest comes it's when harvest comes when harvest comes in your own personal life when harvest comes in our church body when harvest comes in our city when harvest comes in your family why because let me tell you this is a seed that works this is a seed that's eternal this is a seed that doesn't wither and it doesn't fail it's not if harvest comes it's when harvest comes mom who's been praying for backslidden children keep praying Keep praying the word. Keep sowing the seed. It's a time that's down the road when harvest comes. Saint of God who's been desiring for God to do something in your own life. Let me admonish you today. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep fasting. Stay faithful. Keep rejoicing. Keep singing. Don't become downtrodden because what you desire has not come to pass yet. But oh, there's a time that that is going to happen. There is a time when harvest comes. Harvest is mentioned many times through the scripture. There is that harvest that happens in the individual souls and lives of men. As we plant the word in our heart and it brings forth fruit in us. Then there is the harvest that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 9 and in Mark 4. Matthew 9 is where he rightly declares to the disciples the harvest is plenteous but the laborers are few. Mark chapter 4 and verse 26 he declares the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. 
He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ears. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts his sickle, because the harvest has come. What is this scripture stating? What is it that Jesus, through the pen of Mark, is relaying? He is showing the consistency of the man who scatters a seed and he sleeps and he rises and it sprouts and it grows. And it is consistency and it is the basis by which all things are accomplished. He is rising and he is telling them this is what happens when the seed goes out. It's scattered and it's sown and it begins to grow. And you may not understand how and you may not know when, but you can rest assured that there is going to be a harvest because the harvest has Come. So concerned that he commissions those of whom he called to keep an eye upon the field with a statement he says, For look upon the field, for the fields are white and ready to harvest. It is of great concern to God that our hearts become fruitful unto all good works, and that we grow in grace and in knowledge, and that we break up the fallow ground of the heart. But even beyond that, it is concern that the seed that brings forth physical harvest would be sown into the hearts of all men who would receive it. It's the design of God that we not just become fruitful so that we simply fill storehouses, but fruitful so that we can sow into the world that surrounds us. The word that has brought us from barren to blessed, God intends for me to be more than a spiritual storehouse. God, let it be that as the word brings forth fruit in my heart, we heard it at General Conference. You can reach back in the archives and listen to it. God gives some things for sowing. He gives some things that we partake of and we enjoy, but the rest of the seed is, is for harvest. And I tell you, God will bless you in in measures and in ways. And some is for us, but some is for sowing. It is not the design of God that we become storehouses, but that we become a seeding ground for the lost. That we find ourselves so consumed and so concerned with the same harvest that drove the compassion of Jesus to reach unto multitudes that were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. To reach unto multitudes three days journey into the wilderness that were starving to death. And he's moved by compassion. It is the will of God that that same compassion work in the church that we are moved with compassion for the hungry and the thirsty and the hurting. I know I'm not preaching anything revelatory. We hear pastor preach along these lines. But can I tell you, without fail, it's not if harvest comes. It's when it comes. It's not a question mark in the mind of God. Why? Because his word is faithful and it's true and it's forever settled. But when harvest comes, what do we do with the harvest? simple Google search because I've already shared with you, I don't have a PhD in agriculture. I can pick peas and I can eat peas. If there's anything else that needs to be known, someone should educate me. 
other than cornbread. You have to have cornbread with peas. It's 11.05. I'm working toward you being able to partake in that if that's what's waiting on you at home. Simple Google search would raise the question of how to handle harvest. I share with you the first results that pop up on your internet browser if you were to search that very statement. And here's what Professor Google says. That if you are going to have a harvest, the proper way to handle a harvest is you must harvest with the right tools. To harvest a crop with the wrong tools is to cause irreparable damage. What are the tools by which we harvest? It's by the word. It's by the character and the attitude of Christ. It's Christ in us. We must harvest with the right tools. Thank God that there are tools available to us. Bible studies and charts and plans and programs. But can I tell you that if we are to harvest, it will be by the works of Christ through us because of the love of God in us. More than any program or policy or procedure can do, there must be a love of God that flows from us, from the church to the hurting and the broken and the weary. There must be a compassion for those that don't look like us and they don't think like us and they don't work like us. Because there's got to be something in me that says it's not about those things. It's the compassion of Christ. Second thing that you would learn from an agricultural degree from Google is you must harvest in the right conditions. And I tell you, there is a reason the psalmist writes emphatically, he that winneth a soul is wise. There's a reason that that verse finds itself in your scripture and in your reading. Because there is much wisdom and there is much care that is involved in a harvest. Let it be that I harvest from a condition of love and of mercy and of compassion. The third thing is found is says to handle the harvest with care. Let it be that we handle every hurting soul with the care and the love of God. I'm not reaching in to try to harvest them with my philosophy or my ability to debate them. No, I need them to feel the love of God through me. But before that harvest can happen outside of me, there must first be a harvest inside of me that produces the fruit of gentleness and kindness and meekness and temperance. See, there's two harvests that must happen. Before there can be an external harvest, there must first be an internal fruit. We must never become convinced that we can have an external harvest without first an internal fruit. 
Because it's that internal fruit that is going to drive the care and the compassion and the tools by which we reach the harvest there. And the fourth thing, if you were to try to get an agricultural degree from Google in a 30-second search, here's what it says. Harvest often. God, let it not be that there is fruit that dies on the vine. Harvest often. Reach often. Love often. Care often. Sow often. Pray often. Fast often. By whatever means necessary, we are committed that there is a time of harvest, but oh God, let us harvest often. Musicians will help me. I'm 10 seconds over time. The harvest is our is the focus of the focus of the matchless king. Then, oh God, let the harvest ever be our focus. Not to be fruitful and build barns, but to be fruitful and spread seed. Can I tell you that if our fruitfulness is more about barns than it is birthing new souls, then we've missed the harvest. But yet when harvest comes, let me harvest with the right tools and the right condition and the right care. I can't carelessly pluck the harvest from the vine unless I damage the fruit and injure the vine. Let it be that we wander into our wandering world with a love and a compassion from the harvest that has first happened in us. That fruit that has now been born in us as we reach for that fruit of a ripe harvest of souls which the king desires to bring into the storehouse. Today, let me remind you, and I felt this so strong in the Holy Ghost as worship began to break out across the sanctuary, to simply remind you that it's not if harvest comes, but it's when. It's not if prodigals return, but it's when. It's not if God desires to fulfill every word he spoke, it's when. Oftentimes we, be, we become discouraged by the time frame of God. We know that he will. We just don't know when he will. And this old temporal flesh becomes discouraged and disheartened in that. But can I tell you, when harvest comes, when prayers are answered, when God steps in the midst of your trouble, when God moves in the midst of your day, when God, he's able, he's willing, he's not made promises concerning prodigals so that he could just make empty words. No, he's faithful to every word that he's promised and everything that he says. And so I declare to you on a Sunday morning, don't you allow flesh or an adversary to discourage you. There is a season when harvest comes. I can't determine when all of that happens out there, but I can determine what I plant here. I can determine what seed is sown in my soul and in my mind and in my actions and in my reactions and in my attitude and in my interactions with others. So let me labor for this harvest 
until God brings me to the place for that harvest. Let me labor for this fruit until I lift my eyes up and see, oh, oh, God has been faithful. I wish you'd lift your hands with me across this sanctuary today. Weary mother, weary spouse praying for us, praying for your husband, praying for your wife, praying for God to move in your children. Hold fast. Keep sowing in your heart. Keep walking in truth. Keep loving like Jesus. Keep letting the compassion of Christ work through you. That word is faithful. It brings forth fruit in abundance. Oh, as they begin to sing, I wish you would just create an altar where you are. Let the Spirit of the Lord begin to minister to you. If you'd like to join around the front, I open that altar to you today that you would find yourself in a place and say, God, I'm not giving up on harvest. God, I want you to let the fruit of the Spirit be born in me.